I got a lot of paperwork here this morning, y'all. I've been laying around the house, so you know what that means. I ain't had nothing else to do but write stuff down and read stuff, and so I don't I don't think it's going to be extra long today, but I do think we're going to talk about something that we've talked about plenty of times, and there's a reason behind it, and I'll share that with you as we get going. Uh, you guys ever heard of a hymn uh, 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 called "Did You Think to Pray"? I'm pretty sure you've all heard that that hymn. It's an older it's an older hymn, and uh, I'm gonna read the words to you mostly mostly because uh, I'm not uh, I'm not gonna be singing right at the moment, uh, but also because I want to make sure I say them right, and I want y'all to think about the words to this hymn, and and as we lead into the the last few verses or some of the last few verses of chapter four, the words say this, and I think there's probably a couple different variations to the words. But uh, first it says, uh, hey, you left your room this morning. Did you think to pray? In the name of Christ our Savior, did you soothe for loving favor as a shield today? Oh, how praying rests the weary. Prayer will change the night today. So when life seems dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. When you've met with uh, great temptation, did you think to pray? By his dying love and merit, did you claim the Holy Spirit as your guide today? Oh, how praying rests the weary, prayer will change the night today. So when life seems dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. When your heart was filled with anger, did you think to pray? Did you plead for grace, my brother, that you might forgive another who had crossed your way? Oh, how praying rests the weary. Prayer will change the night today. So when life seems dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. Don't forget to pray. Pretty simple, pretty simple hymn right there, if you ask me. Uh, pretty wise words, if you ask me as well. Uh, talking to God seems like an easy thing to do. However, it seems like it could be some of the most challenging things to do in different times in life. Um, you know, it's, it's easy. It's easy to pray when things are good, right? Would y'all agree with that? A lot, a lot of, a lot of people, when, when things are good or prayers are answered, the reaction for the believer is thank the Lord and God is good and hallelujah, right? And I think that's a very appropriate re reaction However, when things are difficult, it doesn't seem to be that reaction always for some, and maybe all of us at times. I'm going to read you this little story. I don't know who wrote it, but it's kind of going to hit, it's gonna hit, hit, hit the point eventually if we let the Lord have his way. There was a fisherman at sea with his godless companions when a storm came up and threatened to sink their ship. His friends begged him to pray, but he said, it's been a long time since I've done that or even entered a church. At their insistence, however, he finally cried out, Oh, Lord, I haven't asked anything of you in 15 years. And if you help us now and bring us safely to land, I promise I won't bother you again for another 15 years. <laughs> that just don't make no sense. To, it don't make no sense to me. But, you know, many people view prayer as that kind of mechanism. Is that kind of an escape hatch for life, right? And many times, no, no one seems to want to go to God in any serious manner unless their world is falling apart or their answers don't seem to be there or panic sets in. Even though there's a constant line of communication between man and God through the blood of Christ. Isn't that great? It's always there. Why do, not, why do we not take advantage of it? Why don't we hone our prayer skills or our prayer life to where it's the most effective, not only for our own lives, but for the lives of those around us? Why don't we tap into the power that comes from God and his kingdom that's readily available for all believers? Should they just spend time in prayer? Should it be the first thing we do and the last thing we do and everything we do in between? 
talking to God, talking to the one who created it all. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, I'm just going to give you some examples before we get into the text for this, this morning. Some examples of prayer being a part of the, a normal part of church life for the early believers. It's, it's who they were. It, it's part of their DNA. And I would just submit to you that we as believers in today's world worship the same God with the same Savior, the same Holy Spirit, the same power. So shouldn't it be part of our DNA as well as believers, this idea of prayer? And I know some of y'all are sitting back saying, you just prayed on prayer. You just preached on prayer several weeks ago. And that's true. But Jesus taught more about prayer than he did about preaching or teaching or anything else. He talked more about the idea of prayer. So maybe we should talk about it more often and be reminded of it. Verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts, the early church says they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, which sometimes we don't have problems with coming to Bible study or getting together and having a pig picking, right? Everybody loves fellowship. But it says they also broke bread together and prayed. They devoted themselves to prayer together. Not just having a prayer list and going away and praying about it, but together praying. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. We just talked about over the last week or two where John and Peter were going into the temple at the time of prayer because that was what it was time to do. It was on their schedule. It was part of their life. And God used them in a great way to heal the, the lame man and get the attention of the Israelites that were in the temple that day and also get the attention of, remember, the leaders which took exception to what was happening and put them on trial for the truth that they were preaching, all because they were going to prayer. In Acts chapter 10, we can read where Peter <laughs> went up on the roof to pray, which was custom in those days. I don't know if you guys need to go on the roof, unless you just want to, but knock yourself out. If that's where you need to go to talk to God, I suggest you probably do that. Find a place to go where you and God get together, and that's all there is. And make it a regular routine in your life is the point. If we were, look, let's look at Acts chapter 20, verse 36 also. Paul, he would teach, and then he, it says, when Paul had finished uh, speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. He didn't just tell them the word of God. He didn't just preach the gospel. He talked to God with them and for them on a regular basis. That's what we do. That's who we are. So what would it look like if there was something written down that described you and your family or this congregation or the believers of today in our world, the church of today, would they be described as people of prayer? Would they be described as people who regularly, habitually, tapped into the power of prayer as we can see in the early church. We and the Lord really know the answer to that, I think, if we spend time listening to him reveal that to us. Are we committed to this kind of prayer? Now, I'm not talking about just praying over the meal and making sure we say the prayers at the right time according to our bulletin for church service. I'm saying, are we committed to including God in our life in such a way that we're talking to him instinctively and habitually about everything. Is getting away from people and life on a regular basis a habit for us? Shutting down the world just to talk to God, is that, is that something that you do? Or is it something that you only do when it's absolutely necessary? I think if we were in the habit of doing that, maybe you are, maybe you're not, but if we're in the habit of doing that, when we cannot get into that place for whatever the reasons, we would be missing something. There would be something amiss, right? This is why when 
when the church comes together to worship or have fellowship or to have Bible study or to do service projects, and we do that on a regular basis, and we're in the habit of meeting together for the sake of worship, communion, and prayer, when we have to miss, there's something wrong in our hearts. Right? And when, when we don't come together and we don't miss it, then there's a problem there. Are we these kinds of believers here at Oak Grove who tap into the power of prayer, who tap into the relationship that Jesus died to set up for us, the connection that we have to God, not just the word God or the idea of God, but God himself, the creator God, almighty God, the Holy One, the one who saved us from his own wrath through the blood of Christ. That's, 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 who, that's who we're talking about this morning. Here's a poem. There's a guy named William Cowper. He was an English poet and a hymn writer. He wrote this poem. This dude was born in 1731, y'all. Think about how long ago that was. And he writes this poem, and as I read through this poem, I sat back and I'm like, how does somebody born in 1731 know so much about us today? Here's the way it goes. What various hindrances we meet in coming to a mercy seat. Yet who uh, that knows the worth of prayer but wishes to be often there? Prayer makes the darkened cloud withdraw. Prayer climbs the ladder Jacob saw. Gives exercise to faith and love. Brings every blessing from above. Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. While Moses stood with arms spread wide, Success was found on Israel's side. But when uh, through weariness they failed, that moment Amalek prevailed. Have you no words? Ah, think again. Words flow, uh, words flow apace when you complain and fill your fellow creature's ear with the sad tale of all your care. Were half the breath thus vainly spent, to heaven is in supplication sent. Your cheerful song would oftener be, hear what the Lord has done for me. Pretty, pretty neat poem, isn't it? And, it, and, it, and, if it? and if you're paying attention to what the words were saying, maybe on occasion, and I pray only on occasion, that it would hit us in between the eyes right because how often have we lived in this world and gone through life and experienced the things that we've all experienced and it wasn't the first reaction to go to God in prayer the anxieties and the worries and the fret of life took over and we talked to our friends and neighbors and family members and strangers and the apps on our phones and the social media contacts about what to do about the issues. When all we have to do is turn to God and talk to Him. This is where it comes into our scripture for the day. You see, when these guys uh, were arrested, as we found out last uh, week, Peter and John, they had done nothing other than testify to what had happened to the lame man or why it had happened and who was responsible, right? They were testifying not only to Jesus being the Christ, but also his resurrection. And the power that comes with all of that is what healed the lame man. Their crime was standing in the middle of the temple and begin to teach the people there about these things. 
So they end up on trial. And we know that from the trial that we read in previous verses of chapter 4 that nobody could find any fault with them. They just didn't like what they were doing because it was disrupting their way. So they said, stop talking in Jesus' name. Right? In all of their worldly authority, they look at Peter and John and say, Stop talking in Jesus' name. Stop doing that. Of course, we, we know that the response was, uh, should we listen to you or should we listen to God, right? We, we fear God more than we fear you. We can't help but say what we saw and what we know about Jesus. Great moment in the, in the testimony of the early church. Great, great moment in the early preacher's life when, when persecution is straight in the face of the preacher and he never shrinks back and by the power of the Holy Spirit he testifies and stands firm to what he believes is true. And almost went to prison, almost went to jail, but he said he let him go. They let him go because all the people were praising God about it and they didn't want all the people to be against them so they let him go. I want to read what happens after that and I want to talk about this prayer that they're about to have together Acts chapter 4 verse 23 to 26 it starts off it says on their release Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all, the chief, all that the chief priests and elders had said to them when they heard this they raised their voices together in prayer to God sovereign Lord they said you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quote Psalm 2. Why do, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The king of the earth take their stand and the rulers against the, uh, 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 the and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the, his anointed one. Th this is how they start off their prayer. But I want to break this down just a little bit as we look at it. Because it's important that we see this. The first, thing that I, the first thing that we need to notice as believers today so that we can uh, gain the most help from this is the first thing they did was they gathered together as believers. And I, 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 it still ba it baffles me every day that I think about it. How many people that live in this world and think that they can get along as a Christian, as a believer, without the rest of the church? It is the most arrogant thought that I think a person can have. That they don't need the bride of Christ. That you, that you, you or me or anybody else can be a believer, be saved by the blood of Christ, not participate in the kingdom of God, not participate in the well-being of any other believer. Me and God got this. Doesn't that sound arrogant to you? Sounds arrogant to me. It's a dangerous place to be because it's not the way God designed it to be. It says they came together. There was trouble in their life. Serious trouble. And the first thing they did, on their release, they went back to their own people. They went to the church. They gathered together with people who believed the truth, who were connected to the power that they needed in that moment, the power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power by which they were preaching. The power by which they stood firm in the face of opposition. The power by which they were released because the people were praising God. They went back to their people and they gathered together. It says they told them everything that happened. They testified to what was going on in their life. They said, hey, we went out there, this happened, uh, the man was healed, and then we started preaching the gospel. And then after we preached the gospel, they tried to arrest us. And they told us to stop talking about Jesus. So we told them we couldn't do it, and they let us go. So here we are. 
Notice nobody in the crowd, nobody in the family, nobody in the body of believers said, hey, here's what I think we should do about that. What does it say? When they heard this, verse 24, they raised their voices together in prayer. One of the most powerful things I've ever experienced is other people praying for me. It does something. If you're sick, it helps you heal faster. If you're in sorrow, it gives you strength. Because you know that you're not by yourself in this world. You also know that people are talking to the one who can make things different. How many people have walked away from the church and said, I don't need God because they didn't see this in the church, whatever congregation they were trying to get connected to. Because the people who were saying that they are believers around them never took them to God. And they never acted like prayer was important. In my, in my, my preaching Bible here, I've circled, I don't even remember when I circled it, the word together in this verse. There's power in togetherness, y'all. There's power when the church comes together and goes to God about whatever the situation is, good or bad, happy or sad, or everything in between. There's power when the church comes together just to say, thank you, Lord. That's all we got to say, Lord, thank you. And there's also power when persecution happens like it's happening in our world today. It seems like much of our world is more and more against the believers every day. More and more against Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, every day. Well, a lot of it's subtle, but it's not so subtle anymore. And Satan anymore doesn't really care how to hide it that much. So the question is, what is the believers going to do? What are we going to do? What are you and your family going to do? about your witness, about your disciple-making efforts, about the things that interfere with your disciple-making efforts, such as the ailments and the sicknesses and the, the problems in our life that are so serious that we should go nowhere else but to God about those things so that we could be about the Lord's business together in prayer to God. Here's how they started off their prayer. It said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant. That's verse 25. And then he read uh, uh, Psalm 2. Now, when these believers were traveling around with Jesus and they were saying to Jesus, Hey, we want to talk to the Father the way you do. Right? And they said, Teach us to do that. So we read in Matthew chapter 6 specifically, and other places where Jesus showed them how to do that. And it's the exact same pattern, isn't it? We recognize God for who he is. He's the creator God. He's the God of all the world, all the universe. He's the God of holiness and power and strength. He is God. So let me ask you this, and you and the Lord can answer this to yourself. When, we, when you pray about anything, when you talk to God in your prayer time, is this the way that you start off a conversation with the Lord? I wonder how many times we, as believers, were so busy in our life that when we do get to prayer, it's like driving through the drive through putting in our order and moving along. And failing to remember who it is we're approaching and what he's done and the power that lies within. Now, I hope that that's not true for you, and I hope that if it has been true for you, that you've been able to, with the Lord's help, get away from that. 
right? Because the, the one thing that flips the switch, if there's a switch to flip, about the power of God in your life is acknowledging Him for who He is. Recognizing that He's God, He's Almighty, He's the Creator, He's the one who saved you by His grace. And as Hebrews helps us understand that the only way we can go into his presence is covered by the blood of Christ. And it is a privilege to be able to do that. And it's all because of his love. Because he loves us, he summoned us to his presence. Right? How arrogant is it for us to walk around as believers never talking to God, never acknowledging Him, never going to Him, sharing life with Him, never even reminding ourselves or letting Him remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus made as if it's something that we should take for granted. Unless the world's falling apart and then suddenly everybody wants to come into church and act like they've been here the whole time. That happened at at 9-11, didn't it? That's one of the recent times that I remember that happened. Everybody thought the world was falling apart and people were in church for three weeks. And then they realized the world wasn't falling apart so they, they didn't need the Lord anymore so they faded back away. That's not proper when you're dealing with a holy God who sent a Savior to the world because He loves people that much. Here these guys are They're living in a world where they're preaching a gospel that offends everybody and could get them killed. And the first thing they do is they come together and they go and ask God. They they go together to God and say, hey, they're not saying, God, spare us from this problem. Protect us from these people. Don't let us get arrested again. They're not saying that. They're saying, hey, God, we know you. We know what this is all about. That's why they quoted Psalm 2. David was saying in Psalm 2, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. He's like, why do people do this? The only person that's going to ask a question like that, even in today's world, why do people go against Jesus? Why do people reject Christianity? Why are people hating you because you're a Christian? Because you and I know the Lord, believer. We know who he is. We know what he's about. We know his power and his strength. We know what happened on the cross. We know that whatever's in this Bible is absolute truth. And we know that without him, there's no hope. So why are people against God? Why would anybody be against God? That's what they're asking. They're like, Lord, why would anybody be against you? You're the greatest thing there is. There's no hope to fight you. You can't win against God. And they're saying, they're repeating David's words in Psalm 2. It's like, God, what fool would ever come against you and think they're going to win? think they're going to prevail y'all see what kind of prayer this is this prayer is such a prayer of confidence in God it's it's an amazing thing to look at and I had to sit back while I was looking over this scripture for this message and say to myself is 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 my prayer life this confident in God's ability is my prayer life this confident about who God is Not even just in my life, but in in all of existence. Does my prayer life reflect who he really is, the depth of his holiness, the depth of his power, the depth of his strength and his love and mercy, and even the depth of his wrath? These guys are coming to God after they were just threatened by what seemed to be... uh, some of the highest authority in their world, and they're like, God, these guys are over here threatening you. We can't believe it. 
Can you imagine, God, what they're doing, what they're saying? Why would they say something like that? And they know the answer. They know it's because they don't know him. It's because they don't recognize his authority. So I have to almost conclude, almost 100% assuredly conclude, that they're praying for those religious leaders. They're saying, God, they don't know you. They're coming against us, which is coming against you because you're working in us. This is serious, God. You notice they have never got, they're still to the prayer. In this prayer, they haven't come to help us feel better, help us not be afraid, right? You think this prayer is led by the Holy Spirit? I mean, they were led by the Holy Spirit earlier when they were preaching in the, in the, in, in the temple. They were led by the Spirit when they were healing uh, uh, in the name of Jesus, the lame man. They were led by the Spirit while they were on trial. It says they were. So why wouldn't they be led by the Spirit in this prayer? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be smart for us to engage the Lord in prayer by, by, the, by way of the Holy Spirit and the power that comes with Him? Why do they, why do they plot in vain? Why does, the, how come, why does anybody in this world come against Christianity, come against God, the God of the Bible, the holiness of His, of his being? Why would anybody come against the Lord? It's in vain. There's no reason. They're going to lose. They can't win. Right? I think, I think that what I've said so far should be encouraging to all the believers. I th- I'm hoping that it's a reminder of who our God is, of who our Savior is, and where our power comes from. It's a reminder of what we're a part of. We're a part of the greatest thing there is. And I pray that if it's a convicting thing for some of you or even all of us from time to time that the Lord would have his way in helping us return to his favor in that. Then look what it says here. Verse 27 and 28. It goes on and says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed they're, they're, they're preaching the gospel to God in their prayer can you imagine that they're not like trying to get God saved they're just agreeing with what the truth is they're standing firm in what they know is true by saying it to God they're like hey we know that Jesus is the one you anointed we know this is a fact This is absolute truth. We're standing firm in that. Verse 28 says, They did what your power and will had decided beforehand to happen. They're not surprised by all of it. They're saying, they're not saying, they're acknowledging that God is not surprised by any of it. They're acknowledging God's wisdom and foreknowledge and plan. I hope we realize that the gospel was in God's plan before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Every part of it, before God ever created, this was his plan. Nothing surprises God. Nothing was out of his control. Here's here's one of my favorite parts of this prayer, verse 29. Look what it says. Now, Lord... It's like the, you could stop the prayer right there and it'd be a powerful prayer, wouldn't it? It'd be like one of them prayers that's like, yeah, we're all in agreement with God and His will. That's the best place for you to be is in God's will, by the way. There's no, there's no better place. Now, can we talk about this, Lord? Now, you would think that after he says, now, Lord, or they say, because it says they lifted their voices together, they were together praying, right? Everyone was praying in some way or another. You think they're going to pray for themselves. You think they're going to pray for a hedge of protection. You think they're going to pray for whatever. No, he says, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I don't know about y'all, but a lot of people would have skipped town after this. Even in today's world, they're like, hmm. 
I'm not going to go back down there. They don't like what I say. They don't like how I talk. And I don't know about you, but I personally, as a, as a believer and even as a preacher in today's world, as time is moving on, it's getting more and more noticeable the pressure that we are feeling about even saying that we're believers. In our world today, there is a lot of unspoken pressure. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to be surprised when it's vocalized boldly in your face to, to stop saying you're a Christian, to stop talking about Jesus. It's coming. Are you prepared? Are you saying the prayers? Are you praying the way these believers were praying so that you'll be prepared? He's like, look, enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Help me to stay firm. I know what the truth is. I believe the truth. I know you, and I know all about you, and I believe in you. Help me to stay there. Help me to be that kind of believer. Isn't that great? There's two things about that. One is they didn't want to quit. They were committed. They were committed to what they believed about Jesus. They were committed to, they saw him die on the cross. They saw him resurrected. And then they experienced the Holy Spirit. And they were all in. Even though suddenly they're living a life that puts their lives in grave danger every day. Then they say in verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Which is what had just happened at the temple. The thing that got them in trouble with the world, they said to God, hey, can you make more of that happen? Do it again, Lord. One more time, do it one more time. Show yourself to these people. Here's what, here's what I think. I think they came away from the trial realizing that none of the religious leaders could convict them and punish them because they saw the, 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 the evidence of Jesus and his miraculous work in the, in the lame man. And they recognized that God is showing himself in such a way that people couldn't deny him. So they're saying to God, hey, as long as we're working for you, as long as we're out there, that's the way we want to see it. Because we saw what happened when people met you that way. Thousands of people, by the way, got saved. It says 5,000. Is it worth it? Is that kind of suffering worth it to you? Is it worth it to stand firm in the gospel and talk to God this way? Is it worth it to... Ask the Lord to make us strong and bold for his witness, for his work, so that people might get saved? I think so. That's the question we all have to answer, isn't it? That's really your commitment. That's where uh, we've made, maybe, a, uh, maybe we could do better at sharing the gospel with people when we say, look, this is not just about you going to heaven. This is not just about Jesus dying so you can go to heaven and be happy forever. This is about you making a commitment to the kingdom of God and going and doing what Jesus did and go into the world and be persecuted because you believe in Jesus. It's about you making a commitment to God. No matter what. It's a no matter what commitment, y'all. That's what it is. That's like, you know, you guys buy a house or a car or something, and there's all kinds of fine print that nobody ever reads, right? And then later, years later, you're like, oh, I didn't know it said that. And then it's like a big problem in your contract. There are way too many people that call themselves Christians that didn't know this. They didn't know it was going to be hard. They didn't know it was going to be persecution. They didn't know people were going to be mad at them. They didn't know people were going to say uh, that you're part of the problem in the world because you're a Christian. They didn't know that they were going to be accused of certain things just because the world doesn't like Jesus. Well, you should have known because the Bible tells us that's what's going to happen. You should have known because you and I both lived on the other side of that before we got saved. You and I both were against God until we got saved. Because it's his authority we rejected. 
So their prayer is that we would consider their threats, enable your servants, and stretch out your hand. There's a lot, there's a lot of people right here in this church that are dealing with some serious things in their life. Some of them are here today, some of them ain't here today because of those things. Those are important things that I believe God can deal with and is dealing with. God's answered so many prayers just even in the short time I've been with y'all. And y'all know how many more prayers he's answered way before then. He's a good God. He's a powerful God. He's a loving God. But he is God. And there's no other like him. There's no, it's not like you can just exchange him for some other God. Take him back. I don't like this one. I'm going to take it back. You got something in blue? No. There's only one God, y'all. <laughs> and we praise him because of who he is. He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to send us a Savior. He could have looked at Adam and Eve and say, okay, if y'all don't want to obey me, then I'll just get rid of all of it. He could have just said, you know what? I'm only going to save the people that have red hair. Everybody else, forget about them. He could have done that. Seems foolish, but he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. He chose to love me and you in such a way that we now have hope for eternity. We, we, we can tap into the most powerful thing there is. We can not only just tap into it whenever we need it, we're supposed to be living in it every day. Whatever I need today, Lord, consider the threats against my witness. Whatever I need today, enable me to do what honors you. Whatever I need today to serve you, just stretch out your hand and go before me and let the world see who you are in my life. Here's some other examples of believers when they were praying. This is just another example, some more examples of who we are supposed to be. We're supposed to be people of prayer. Acts chapter 7, verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. These people were killing him, and he's talking to God. I don't know about y'all. Of course, y'all know I had that procedure on Wednesday, and I got about six or seven holes in my body right now. And I keep telling people I feel like I've been in a knife fight. But let me tell y'all something. If my life was really in danger, like somebody was trying to take my life, I hope that the first thing I do is turn to God. But we don't know, do we? Until we get in those kinds of situations. Stephen was being killed because of Jesus, y'all. Stephen was being killed because the Spirit of God led him and he was obedient. Because he was committed to what he believed about God. And he had such a relationship that the first thing and last thing he did as he was being killed was to ask God to receive him. Acts chapter 12 in verse 5, Peter was kept in prison because of Jesus. And guess where the church was? It says the church was earnestly praying for him. The church was off talking to God over Peter. If I'm in jail, y'all, I hope somebody's praying for me. Right? Uh, if, if I'm in trouble, if you're in trouble, I hope somebody's talking to God over you. Verse, uh, verse 12 of chapter 12 in the book of Acts. When, uh, when this had uh, uh, dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary and the mother of John, also called Mark. It says where many people had gathered and were praying. You notice that the church is constantly together talking to God? This is where they were when the Spirit of God came on them in, in Acts chapter 2. Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, uh, wait for the Spirit and then we'll go do some ministry together. So they got together and they talked to God until it happened. I think about that a lot when we're trying to figure out how to get people saved and how to get people to hear the gospel and how we're going to make disciples in this community and how the church might grow or what that might look like or what the Lord has in store for this church. And I have to say to myself, you know what? I'm just going to talk to God and wait. 
I'm going to follow the Lord and wait and stay committed as much as I can and just listen to him. He's the only one that has the answer anyway. Chapter 16, verse 25, finally, it says, At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were in jail. These guys were in prison, and they were singing hymns and praying. They're talking to God. And prison today ain't the same as it was in those days. I mean, they got, like, cable TV, and they got all kind of amenities. And they, I mean, it's almost like a four-star hotel sometimes in some of these prisons. Not all of them, but some of them. These dudes were in a hole in the ground, probably, in some dungeon basement-type atmosphere where it c- couldn't have been healthy for them. And they were singing and praying to God. Here's the fine. Here's, the, here's, the, here's how I'm going to stop. It says... They, they were, it says they were, they were thriving on prayer. It describes a people who needed it so badly. That's where they drew their energy from. That's where they drew their strength, their wisdom, their comfort. Their, whatever they need they had to come from prayer. The church thrived. They didn't just exist. They were thriving. Every time they talked to God, something else happened. Every day they lived on prayer. Everywhere they went, every time they came together, every time they left each other, they they prayed. It was it was it was not even a thought for them. It wasn't something they were like, ooh, let's don't forget to do that. It wasn't something they were like, oh, I I, I was I planned on doing that, but I just got busy. No. They did it without really thinking about it. You ever, you ever uh, if you're married, you ever talk to your spouse out of habit and they've gone to the market or something? You're like, oh, I thought you, I didn't know you were gone. <laughs> and the, the, your spouse might take that as you not paying attention, but at the same time, it's, an, it's a sign that you are communicating on a regular basis, right? Might need to hone that skill a bit, but you know. Why would we not talk to God about everything? The early believers, they depended on prayer. They depended on this connection. We can't be the church without it. We can be a bunch of people gathered together saying we believe, but if we don't ever connect to God on a regular basis, habitually, out of habit, we're we're not who we say we are. If we don't talk to God the way these believers talk to God, we're not who we say we are. Even as bad as we want to be who we say we are, we're not. Why is our walk with God sometimes a crawl with God? Right? Why is it it that there's a lack of compassion, or excuse me, a lack of passion for our Savior? I'm talking about in general, around the world. Christians today, that, we're not, that, that we don't seem connected in a powerful way. I think it might be just because we were saved to go to heaven and there's nothing deeper than that. Jesus didn't really die for me to go to heaven, did he? Jesus died to glorify God the Father. Jesus died to to prove to all of existence, all of, the, all of the universe, all of his creation, that he really is who he says he is. That he is God. There's, there's no victory over sin in the Christian life in, the, in these days. You know how many marriages are split up in the church right now? You know how many people in, in that, that are Christians that are part of some church somewhere that are living in sin without repentance? And let's not even talk about the biblical compromise that's going on around the world, within the church. That's not victory in Christ. It's because we've lost the connection. There's, a, there's an old preacher, an old evangelist, Baptist evangelist, I think he's a Baptist guy, Billy Sunday. <laughs> he said, he that is a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. 
In other words, if you're not tapped into the power of prayer, you're a weak soul. You're just weak. So here's the question. What would happen if you and your church, our church, prayed like these believers? Not only, not only over the evangelistic work we have to do here, but also over the prayer list. The sickness, the heartaches, the pain, the suffering, the world. What would happen if we came together and lifted up our voices together? What would happen if we acknowledged God's power and his will in reference to the gospel? What would happen if we acknowledged God as the creator? The one who's Lord of all. What do you think would happen? I can tell you what would happen. The same thing that happened to the early church. That's what would happen. Because he's the same God. He doesn't change. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not some different God just because time has gone by and technology has made its advancements. Because our poet showed us that people don't change. That poem was written in the 1700s, and it rings true that sometimes we say we don't have time to pray or we don't know what words to pray, but his poem says, but you, you have words to say when you're complaining. That's what the poem said. Right? But we don't know how to talk to God. I pray that we become what God wants us to become. I pray that we're already in some of that but I pray that the Lord's will be done in this church and in your life because that's what Jesus died for Jesus died so that we could go into the world and say Jesus is Lord and that he would stretch out his hand and show everybody why that's true that's my prayer so let's stand together and I'm just going to pray about that together let's stand together and pray and then we'll sing a song together and if you have a decision to make to be saved, or if you're not saved, now's the day to do it. I don't know why you're waiting. Because as long as you don't do it, you're an enemy of God. And the enemy of God will not prevail. You ready? Let me pray first. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the day. We thank you for the time that we've shared together in Bible study and in, in communion and in prayer. And we lift up our voices together right now, Lord, saying that you are our holy God. You are our creator. You're the God of the universe. We know you're holy, Lord, and we ask your presence in our life. We ask your presence in our witness. We ask you to stretch out your hand and show the world who you really are. Give us strength and courage to stand firm and be bold in who we are in Christ. Help us to become creatures of habit when it comes to prayer, when it comes to reaching out to you, when it comes to reaching out to one another. Help us to come together. Help us to show the world what it means to be believers. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.